Welcome, everybody, to Secret Sauce, the show where we hear real-time insights from commercial real estate industry leaders. I'm Carly Iacono. Today, I am happy to be joined by Eddie Rivera, the partner at Saks LLP. Welcome to the show, Eddie. How are you today? Doing well, Carly. Thank you for having me. So glad you could join us. Really happy to have you. So today, we're going to cover a few different topics. We're going to start with an overview of the latest updates on opportunity zones and then dive into some federal and state tax tips, advice, or food for thought for our listeners. But before we get through all of this great and very important content, Eddie, why don't you take a minute and just tell us about Saks and your role there? Uh, Carly, thank you. I appreciate you having me on here. So Saks is a uh, top 100 CPA firm based out of Parsippany, New Jersey. Uh, we have offices in uh, New York City uh, and Princeton, in addition to the Parsippany office. I'm a tax partner at the firm and I'm focused in uh, the real estate group uh, where I provide uh, tax advisory services, business planning services and other, other general business advice uh, to real estate clients, uh, as well as uh, construction clients and, and private equity firms. The perfect background for today's episode. Really, thank you. Um, thank you for that overview. And I think we should jump in. I want to start with, and I really think of today's episode in, in two parts because they are a bit different, but I want to start with Opportunity Zones. So this, to me, was a, a program that just had amazing attention when it rolled out. Gosh, what was it? Five years ago? Has it been 10 years? I'm not sure. You'll, you'll let me know. Oh, but, five years. Five years. Okay. But where are we today with Opportunity Zones? And, and maybe we should even start a little more basic. What is an Opportunity Zone and how do they work? Yeah, so it's, it's a great question. I think a lot of people uh, hear a lot of, uh, there's a lot of information in the media about Opportunity Zones. Basically, as, as part of the, uh, the, the, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act uh, in 2017, the Opportunity Zone program was created. And, and an Opportunity Zone is basically a, a census uh, tracked area in, in any given uh, geography. Uh, back in 2017, all the states, as part of the federal tax law, all the states were required uh, to designate various census tracts in their state as uh, opportunity zones. And and what what that did was it, it created a a, a a neighborhood uh, in that census tract that could be developed uh, where federal benefits could that where it was eligible for federal benefits. Excuse me. So, so basically, an opportunity zone. What the opportunity zone law says is, any individual or, or or organization that has a capital gain from the sale of, for example, stock, publicly traded stock, you can take that gain and you can roll it into an investment uh, in an opportunity zone. At this point, five years on, I've seen investments in everything from uh, uh, apartment buildings to industrial warehouses to to car washes. Um, you know, early on it was a little slow, but now you're really starting to see some of this activity ramp up. Um, you know, the, the the main benefit upon the aside from deferring the gain, once you defer the gain uh, that that you recognize, if you hold an investment in an opportunity zone for ten years and sell that investment, the investment will, will be uh, tax free. Uh, certainly, for federal income tax purposes, it'll be tax free, and and for some states. Uh, you know, you'd have to review whether or not that state uh, uh, complies with the opportunity zone rules. But it's a great tax benefit. Uh, you, you can uh, have a, a dramatic increase in your after-tax cash flow. I have so many questions. Thank you for that. Who can claim these incentives? Is it any 
any private client? Is it related to certain ownership structures? Talk to me about what sort of clients would be eligible to invest in opportunity zones. Yeah, so the clients that, that we mostly work with on this front are, are individuals, uh, usually high, high net worth individuals um, that have experienced gains from stock portfolios or gains from the sale of their operating businesses. Um, that's our typical uh, client. Uh, and that's the typical person investing in these deals. I, I don't really handle a lot of uh, those types of clients. My clients specifically are the actual funds uh, that, that are sponsoring the Opportunity Zone project. So if, if uh, you know, that's kind of a long winded way of saying, you know, I don't work with a lot of the individuals, but, but mostly uh, this program is, is for individuals uh, uh, deferring gains in, in, into other funds. Now, you mentioned that you could take a gain from a stock and invest it into real estate. So how does that work? What are the requirements for the projects that you invest in? And what are the limitations or requirements for the gains that you are applying? Yeah, so so the general rule, you know, it's funny. People would always say, oh, it's just like like kind of exchange. And, and, and the reason people would say that is, is because you're, you're, you're deferring a gain. It's, it's very different than like kind of exchange. But the one thing, one of the requirements is that when you, uh, the general requirement is that when you incur a gain or when you, uh, I'm sorry, realize a gain, when you realize a gain, you have 180 days, generally speaking, from the date of that realization to invest the gain dollars into an opportunity zone. Um, so that, that's, that's really the first requirement, uh, that, that, that you have a gain. Uh, it could be a capital gain or it could be, you know, uh, other investment gains from business 1231 gains. But, but typically you have that gain, let's say, you know, I'm just going to make up some days here. December 31st, uh, I don't know, 180 days from December 31st, I'm sure uh, uh, is somewhere around uh, June 30th. Uh, not sure the exact day, but as long as you make an investment into what we call a qualified opportunity zone fund uh, by that day, you'll have an eligible uh, deferral. Uh, uh, for purposes of the opportunity zone rules. Um, you know, the one thing that I think people get don't understand is that that deferral of that original gain ultimately is deferred to the year 2026. Um, in 2026, you have to pick up the gain from that original sale. Um, what is tax-free is when you hold the new investment uh, for 10 years. So uh, it, it gets a little confusing as, as the little tax laws uh, you know, we try not to, to, to get into the weeds too much uh, because every case is so different. But those two dates were were important that you just mentioned. So 2026 is based on when the program first rolled out, I'm guessing. And that's a firm date that those gains have to be realized. What? Why is that a relevant date? Yeah, that's that's a firm date based on the uh, based on the, the law that was passed in late 2017. Um they, they targeted 2026 as the year for recognition of the, the deferred gains. And basically, Congress was trying to to uh, balance uh, the revenues and the expenditures of the tax bill that they were passing. Um, and so 2026 was the day that 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 all of these deferred uh, gains that were invested into opportunity zones would be uh, taxed. Now, there are what we call inclusion events. And inclusion events are, are events that can happen during the life of, of your investment in an opportunity zone uh, that, that would require you to pick up the gain uh, prior to 2026. And, and, you know, we've seen quite a bit of uh, uh, that over the last couple of years. 
Now, when does the 10 year hold period come into this? We've got the 20, let's say you buy something 2024, beginning of next year, you've got the, the event in 2026, right? To realize the gain, but then you have a 10 year hold period that is a, a completely different part of this program. How does that work? Yeah, so the 10-year hold is 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 uh, measured from your date of investment. So, uh, you, you know, you, you let's say you, you sell uh, Apple stock uh, and you have a million dollar gain on Apple stock on January 1st of 2024. Um, that Apple stock within 180, that gain from the sale of Apple stock needs to be invested in Opportunity Zone Fund. And let's just say that investment is, is May 1st of 2024. So two things you need to keep track of. One, the fact that you had a million dollar gain in 2024 and that gain will be recognized and you need to pay tax on it in 2026. And then also on May 1, 2024, 10 years from that day, uh, you need to hold your investment uh, so that that the eventual sale of the opportunities on investment will be tax free. So so kind of two different uh, dates to keep in mind. But with a 10 year hold, you could have a completely tax free sale yeah and that's it, really why why people do this i'm guessing yeah the 10-year hold is really there's no other way around uh getting um uh selling the investment tax-free it's 10 years or nothing what I, my takeaway is from this is call Sachs, call your tax advisor and make sure you're being very careful if you're trying to take advantage of the opportunity zone tax benefits sounds good to me yeah you, you wouldn't mind right you wouldn't mind that that call we, we have a whole team. We have a whole team here that 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 can help you through your project. So uh, it is complicated. Um, we, we've been doing it since the inception. I believe uh, one of our clients was one of the first uh, uh, funds, I think, in the country to, to really start mm -hmm. building a project out of the ground. Um, and so uh, we, we've got a lot of experience uh, with it here. And, you know, we're here to help. That's great. Let's move on to not going to say less complicated, but a different topic, which is federal tax advice for real estate investors. Now, of course, that is a very broad topic. So we're going to drill it down a little bit and try to share some owner, um, some insights today. Why don't we start with ownership structures and how different ownership structures can impact your federal tax liability? Any thoughts or advice on that? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, again, super complicated, right? All tax laws is, or most tax law can be pretty complicated. Um, you know, federal tax structures, again, you got to make sure that that when you're thinking about how an investment is going to affect you, you know, am I holding a real estate investment through a through a corporation? Am I holding a real estate investment through an S corporation or is it a partnership or am I holding it directly in my name? You know, all, you know, depending on, on, on how you hold the real estate uh, and, and what your involvement and ownership percentages in that real estate can have a, a dramatic effect on, on what your net tax bill is. Um, you know, I think I think one of the, the, the things we, we try to explain to people a lot, we get a lot of questions on, hey, uh, can I be a real estate professional? Um, you know, being a real estate professional, uh, there's a lot of facts and circumstances that go into it. it you know, you have to prove your hours. You, work during a year, you have to document different things. And, and uh, you know, depending on what percentage of a partnership you own uh, or a corporation or an activity you own, that activity may, may not help you uh, 
uh, get over the hump on on being a real estate professional. So, um, you know, the, the, the base advice we tell people, the typical advice we tell people is, you, you know, in real estate, key things when you're just basic, I guess, rules of thumb in real estate. Number one, generally speaking, we, 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 we you've got to work 15 hours a week uh, in real estate to be a, a real estate professional. Um, the general rule of thumb, too, is that 15 hours a week uh, or your work in that field needs to be uh, greater than 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 work in any of your your other fields that are not real estate related. Uh, rule of thumb number three, you know, generally we, we don't advise uh, that real estate is owned in a, in a corporation. Uh, when, when you own real estate through a corporation, there's a there's, there's a lack of flexibility on the transference of that real estate. And, and it kind of takes away a lot of planning opportunities. So we always advise that that you either own real estate directly through a limited liability company uh, as a sole owner or, or through a partnership. Um, you know, uh, th th those are the basic uh, rules of thumb. Um, tax planning can be so, you know, we take a holistic approach to tax planning. We, we start thinking about a state and trust taxation uh, and what that means. And, and, and so for, for many, many, many reasons, uh, income tax, estate and trust taxation, succession planning, uh, transferability of the asset. We really like to get people into partnerships, uh, whether they're limited liability companies or, or limited partnerships, because the, the form of ownership really has a dramatic effect on many other things down the line. Great advice. What about the taxing of distributions in these different entities? How does that vary and what advice do you have there? Yeah, so that's that's a that's a big planning point, uh, and, and that's really one of the main reasons why we 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 focus on advising that real estate is held in partnerships uh, or entities treated as partnerships uh, uh, for tax purposes. Um, you know, in, in real estate, you know, it's a it's a heavily uh, tax subsidized business. Um, you, you know, in, in the real estate world, uh, there are special rules for for computing basis and and. And, and many times distributions in, in, in an entity owning real estate and a partnership owning real estate are tax free uh, be, because of the way uh, the, 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 the rules work surrounding uh, mortgage debt. In, in S corporation scenarios and in C corporation scenarios, those same debt rules don't apply um, uh, and, and for, for either C corps or S corps. And furthermore, in C corps, you have double taxation. So, so if, if a, a you know C corp owns real estate and, and incurs gain, there's tax paid at that level, and then if you want to distribute the, the cash from the gain, you incur tax there. So, you, you know, very important when when you're setting the stage up front to, to buy an investment that you um, that you think about these things. Uh, we, we we come across many case studies, legacy assets and family portfolios where you know the assets are held uh, by corporations. Matter of fact, uh, you know. A lot of deals we see in New York City that are legacy portfolios are, are, are real estate held in corporations. Um, you know, going back to the 70s, 60s, um, you know, we, we can work around it, but it makes it complicated. Very, very interesting. What is a common misconception about federal tax planning that you hear frequently? I'm sure there's a list, but pick one that uh, comes to mind. You know, just circling back to uh, to, to something I, I mentioned earlier, you know, people just, you know, a lot of people come to me and they say, hey, uh, you know, I work nine to five. I'm an engineer. I work nine to five. I'm a, a doctor. I work nine to five on this. But uh, I own all this real estate. So I'm a real estate professional. Right. Um, that's probably the, the, the most common uh, uh, 
misconception I think people have is, is what it takes to, to be considered a real estate professional. Um, you, you know, they think it's a, a lot easier uh, than it really is. Um, there's some other things that are a little more technical. I think people get wrong um, when we start talking about debt finance distributions and, and the interest expense related to those debt finance distributions. Um, you know, I think uh, I think a lot of people just don't know what they what, what they don't know. Um, there's a long list. We could spend two hours going through a, a list of uh, common misconceptions. I'm sorry. Um, you, you know, but but that though, am Those I some big ones? Yeah, am I a real estate professional? Is the biggest one. I mean, we 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 just hear some. Uh, you, you know, my my cousins, uncles, brothers, mother. Told right. Me I'm a real estate professional because of this or that. So, um, you, you know, you get that a lot, and 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 then just with general tax law, you know the. the in 2017, the tax law changed so dramatically. And I think a lot of CPAs in our business just didn't keep up with it. And so, mm -hmm. you know, you talk to, uh, when, when I meet with prospective clients, you know, their, their CPAs really are kind of stuck in, in, in a different in, in a different era of tax mm -hmm. law. Um, there's been a lot of articles and, you know, in the papers, Wall Street Journal, you know, a lot of people are leaving our profession, um, you know, the supply of CPAs. And I think, I think that's that's why I hear so many misconceptions out there. There's not a lot of uh, quality CPAs out there giving really good advice on these on these topics. You know, it's it's really interesting. You have to stay on top of all these policy changes, along with just knowing what you've done day to day right. in its granular form. But uh, staying ahead of the changes sounds like it's crucial as well. Let's move on to state considerations. So we have clients that own properties all over the country. What are some thoughts for non-resident returns? Anything that they should keep in mind if they own in various states in which they are not residents? Yeah, I think uh, you know to pull to pull something from from your last question on misconceptions. Uh, you, you know, we talk to a lot of people who live in Florida or live in Texas or live in states where there's no income tax. And they assume, well, because I live in this state, you know, that property I had in New Jersey, uh, I have in New Jersey, you know, I can sell it and, and not pay tax. And that, that's a big misconception when, when you're dealing with non-resident issues um, uh, in these states. You, you know, it's important to know that 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 real estate uh, as an asset class is taxed where the real estate is located. Um, so, so if you're a non-resident living in Florida or, 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 or any state that's a non-tax state and you have real estate located in, in a state that is a tax state, you're always going to come across these non-resident withholding issues. Um, you know, we, we just had a, a big case uh, in the southeast part of the United States uh, where, where we had a huge withholding requirement. Um, and, and I think uh, a lot of the investors were a little surprised. Uh, that there was a, a withholding requirement just because they're not familiar, um, you know, with it. I, I think the key when you're involved in real estate and you're selling assets or, or you're you're recognizing income from operations, you have to be aware of what the, the state and local tax consequences are, whether it's non-resident withholding, whether it's uh, the new regime, you know, the new state regimes, what we call pass-through entity taxes or, or PTETs. Um, or if, if there's opportunities to reduce your tax bill by filing a, a composite uh, tax return, they're, they're, that in and of itself, I think people are always, uh, you know, shocked that, that, that the state and local income tax side could actually be more complicated uh, and, and take more time than the federal income tax side. 
Um, so well. what about the inverse of what you just said? What if someone lives in a high tax state, but they bought a property in, let's say, Florida, somewhere that's income tax free? Is that a, a benefit because it's taxed where the property is located or yes. does it not work that way? No, it's, it's you know, misconception number four, I guess, if we're keeping tally here. Um, <laughs> you know, a, a lot of people ask that question. Hey, I, I live in New Jersey. You know, I have this uh, triple net lease asset in 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 Florida, Tampa Bay. Um, I'm not paying tax on that, right? And 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 so the issue is, uh, yeah, you are paying tax on it. You may not be paying tax on it in Florida, but because you're a, a New Jersey resident, New Jersey is going to tax you on your everywhere income. Um, now there may be some offsets or there's some other items that 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 reduce that income from from that asset in Florida. But if you're in New Jersey, uh, you're going to pay tax on your everywhere income, generally speaking. Now, how does your ownership structure affect that or, or does it not? Yeah, it's it's a great question the the, the you know, a lot of people, you know, through their securities portfolios own REITs. Um, you know, in a REIT scenario, you, you, you can live in any state in the country. And, and if you're not receiving uh, dividends from the REIT, uh, no matter where the REIT's located, uh, you're not paying tax on, on, on the value appreciation or the accretion of, of uh, reserves in the REIT. Now, REITs have their own special rules with uh, required distributions and, and things of that nature. But, but you know, that's an example of where you have a corporation. And if you're not pulling dividends out of the corporation, then you're not paying tax uh, um, uh, in the jurisdiction where the asset is. So, for example, you know, you have a, a REIT that owns property in Texas um, and you're a New Jersey resident uh, or actually let's pick a state that has a, that has a high income tax, California. If you're, you have a REIT that, you know, owns property in California and you're a New Jersey resident and you're not, you know, receiving dividends from the REIT in California, then there's no income to pay. Uh, and, and it's not giving you, uh, as a New Jersey resident, it's not uh, uh, putting you into the California tax net. If, on the other hand, it was a partnership, you'd be in the California tax net and there would be issues there. So ownership type does matter. Thought it might, but uh, again, many layers and complexities based on state and structure. Last thing we'll cover today, what are some thoughts for cash flow planning? Um, I know there's a lot to this as you're forward looking. What advice do you have for investors when cash flow planning? You know, Carly, I, I don't know. I, I keep looking at the news and the five year and the 10 year just keep <laughs> keep going the right way. Uh, so I guess my advice would be just stay patient uh, uh, right now. Wait for the the, the the yields to continue to decrease. Um, but uh, my advice for cash flow planning, my, my tax advice on cash flow planning uh, and general business advice, I, I think, um, you, you know, I'm surprised always at how people uh how a lot of people fail to do uh, cash flow forecasting. Um, you know, I think it gets, I think it gets a little hard you know, you, you, when you have a large portfolio, if you don't have a sophisticated financial reporting team, I think it gets a little hard to really plan for, for bumps in the road. Um, you know, if you, if you got 10, 15, 20, 30 projects going on and, you know, you know, four of them had bridge loans and, and four of them have negative basis and you're selling the assets and you forgot that, that, you know, there's going to be more tax than there is cash, um, you know, all these different things, uh, you know, should you refinance, should you not refinance? I think uh, owners, uh, portfolio managers need to take a really proactive approach to portfolio management, especially now with, with what's gone on in the, uh, uh, with 
with interest rates. Um, I always advise people, you know, you know, set up a, a dashboard for your for your debt, for your portfolio wide. Create a dashboard, understand what what debt is in your portfolio, uh, review it monthly, uh, put a plan together and, and manage the bumps in the road. Um, you know, uh, bridge loads coming due, uh, phantom income uh, being created because uh, you refinanced a property 10 times and now you're selling it. Uh, you're just and you're not focused on the fact that there's going to be taxable income there. You know, really think about those things and have a really good understanding of your portfolio. And I, I think that's the takeaway from that is there are significant tax implications from your financing structure. It's not just selling and figuring out the gain. These different loans really impact right. um, your tax shelter, your overall returns, et cetera. So I think when we're talking about cash flow planning, that's a huge piece, especially given today's debt market and sort of the layers of financing that people are putting on to try to get deals done. So um, definitely something to take a closer look at. Yeah, you know, I must say, um, and I love all of my clients, but the most interesting conversations I have with my clients that were on the credit side of the business that are now principals, um, you know, in, in real estate investment firms, the clients that I have that were on the credit side of the business really do this very well. They understand this. They're passionate about it. Um, but but there's all different types of people in this business, as you know, Carly, um, you know, it's 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 really what they're focused on and, and, and what their experience is uh, in the business. When I talk to, to to the to the individuals, to the executives that, that were focused on on the credit side, whether they were working in a creditor or, uh, you know, a large institutional uh, like a bank or, or a Wall Street bank or whether they work for a, a private debt fund. They really understand, um, you know, debt management on a portfolio wide level, and they're really focused on it. And I think when, when I look at, at my clients that are doing the best through, um, um, you know, the last couple of years, I, I think they, they were really focused on locking in, um, uh, the, the, you know, debt, locking in really great terms on the cheap debt that we had in 2021 and 22. So, um, you know, you, you got to be proactive about it. You got to really focus on on. On debt, I think that's the biggest part of of, uh, of of cash flow planning for real estate companies, and obviously capital expenditures. Um, you know, you got to make sure that that your your capital expenditure budgets are are good, uh, and and that you're 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 not really letting um, uh, your team get away from that budget without your approval. So, if if you understand the debt portfolio wide and you understand your capital capex budget, I think you'll be in a good place. Uh, and then, you know, if you have a great team like Saks behind you, helping you understand your taxes, I think that's the third biggest, uh, item, uh, shameless plug. It's okay. It's allowed. It's allowed. Shameless plug. <laughs> uh, I, I think those three things, uh, you have a really good understanding of those three things. You'll be very, very successful. I agree. Very important to have the right team behind you and to dive into these complexities, even if, uh, you don't want to, right. To, to stay on top of these things that are a little bit harder yep. to get through. Yeah, you gave us eat. some, go ahead. I was going to say, you got to eat your veggies, Carly. Yeah. <laughs> got to do the work and talk about tax planning. It's yeah. just uh, not going away. So got to stay on top of it. You gave us some great nuggets today, Eddie, and really some topics that I think 
although we we can't answer all questions through a high level podcast, I think it's important that we bring up these issues, we bring up these conversations, and we start the conversation. And I hope this uh, today's episode really gave our listeners a framework to look at their assets, look at their holdings, and look at their tax planning again, and make sure that they're clear in all these different topics and they have a strong strategy for 2024. So thank you for all of that information. And thank you for sharing your your thoughts and advice with us today. We're happy you could join the show. Carly, I, I really appreciate you having me on. And uh, thank you. To everyone listening, that was Secret Sauce. Thank you for tuning in. And we will see you again very soon. Have a great day, everyone.